Welcome to Logos Live. I'm Robert Martin, the director of the City Bible Forum in Melbourne, and I'm your host for the show. Logos is Greek for word or message. And Logos Live seeks to engage the Christian message before a live audience in the CBD of Melbourne. And we have a live audience here today. Do we have, are they alive? Do we have a live audience? Yes. There's a couple of hand waves there as well, which is a little bit difficult to pick up on the recording. And we also aim to have a little bit of fun. Who said exploring the big questions of life shouldn't be enjoyable? Now, modern Australian culture is influenced, for better or worse, by Christianity. In fact, the Christian message dominates the history of Western civilization. And the birth of Christianity can be traced to that events of that first Easter week. Why is Easter so important? How could these events change the world? Well, over a number of sessions, we'll be engaging the Easter story firsthand. And today we're looking at the start of that week that changed the world, what is commonly known as Palm Sunday, Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. And we're privileged to have our local church pastor, James Hornby of St. Jude's in Parkville, join us to chat more about this. Now, we're going to meet James in just a moment, but before I'd like to introduce our performance poet, please welcome Cam Simmons. Great, thank you. I'm just going to read the bit of the Bible that we're thinking about today. Luke chapter 19, verses 28 to 44. As Jesus approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you... Even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognise time of God's coming to you. I'd like to introduce our guest today, the Reverend James Hornby, 
James is the minister of St Jude's Anglican Church in Parkville, a church in the inner north of Melbourne geared towards families and young urban professionals. James worked for the Department of Sustainability and Environment and then Vic Forests. He's also worked in South Africa with AIDS orphans. He's married with young kids and therefore looks constantly tired. Hopefully he's awake now. Please welcome James Hornby. Thank you. Delighted that you can join us here today. Welcome. Thanks, Rob. Here to talk about Easter, the mm -hmm. week that changed the world. So why is it worthwhile, do you think, engaging with the Easter story? Well, because if it is the week that changed the world, you'd want to, you'd want to be on it. You want to know about it. I think for, for Christians, the, the week leading up to Easter is the central week of, and holds the central truths of what we believe. So if we are... If we took that week out as Christians, we'd really have nothing. Uh, and yet Christians believe uh, that this week and, and the man that features in this week, Jesus, his actions, his, his words, the person who he, who he is and who he was uh, really does uh, change us and can indeed change the world, has changed the world, mm -hmm. uh, but continues to change. So I think, as, you know, I think it's really important uh, if you're interested in, in faith and exploring truths to at least uh, explore faithfully this week. Sure. So why is Easter important to you? Uh, it's really important to me because of the central message of Easter, that Jesus Christ, this man who claimed to be the Son of God, who I believe uh, is the Son of God, uh, died. And, and didn't just die, but accomplished something in his death and was resurrected. And because of that, I can be reconciled to God, that I can, I can have a relationship with God. Uh, that, that's why I think it's really important uh, to me. We are going to spend the next few weeks looking at mm. various aspects of the Easter story, the week that changed the world. And today we begin what's known as the, the Passion Narrative, uh, the final week of Jesus' life. Now, the Gospel of Luke's been narrating Jesus' journey towards Jerusalem for about 10 chapters or so, since chapter 9, verse 51. Now, in the passage that Cam has just read for us, and we'll be looking at today, he approaches Jerusalem. So, James, why is Jerusalem so important? Sure. It's... Uh it's interesting to note, too, that when Jesus gets to Jerusalem, he's at the top of the hill, he's about to descend in, there's no, uh, there's no flag waving that says the week that changed the world. You know, when you start off in a run, you, you, if you've ever done a fun run, you'll get, you get to run through the little entry and then there's the finish line. Uh, there's nothing that really signifies in one sense that this is the beginning of something that will transform human history. Mm. But for Jesus, Jerusalem is really important. Firstly, it's it's the holy city. Uh, so as a Jew, uh, every year, I mean, this week is set in about early April, the month of Nisan in, in the Jewish calendar. It's uh, early spring, so the days are getting warmer uh, as opposed to here. And it's the, it's the one time of the year where, where Jews gather for the Passover. And the Passover is sort of the central Jewish festival. It's where they celebrate uh, their their national identity that's formed because they were rescued from slavery. So this is a really key moment in your Jewish calendar. So you make your pilgrimage to Jerusalem. That's where you celebrate uh, Passover. And it's, it's interesting to note too that, I mean, when you think of Jerusalem, uh, you, you think it's a city, right? I, I don't know about you, but I think of a city that, like Melbourne, might be, you know, three, four million people, crowds. Jerusalem in Jesus' day on the average week is about 10 to 15,000 people. Okay, so it's actually a really small city by, by modern standards. Just like going to Wodonga. 
not even going to <laughs> Wodonga. Going to Wodonga you know, imagine, yeah. It's like going to Shepparton. <laughs> right. You know, and, and uh, but for this for these two weeks of the year, uh, Shepparton or, or Jerusalem is, is no longer ten to fifteen thousand people. It's around about one hundred and twenty, one hundred twenty-five thousand people. So you try and cram one hundred twenty-five thousand people into a city or a town that's built and has infrastructure for ten to fifteen thousand people. You get a, a sense of just how clogged up it is i mean as even as jesus is entering jerusalem like there's tra- traffic jams like you wouldn't believe uh, but jerusalem's well, also horse jams or something horse or jams <laughs> possibly donkey jams donkey jams um, <laughs> i'm not quite sure what a donkey jam would be like yeah I, i'm not sure about that either <laughs> but jerusalem's also really important because uh the old testament and, and the scriptures that the jews had prophesied or spoke that the messiah would come to jerusalem so all of Every Jew has this great hope that one day the Messiah, and Messiah means anointed one, one day the anointed one will come to the Mount of Olives, will come to Jerusalem, this holy city. So if you take a step back, it's actually really important that Jesus is coming to Jerusalem because he's about to declare himself as the anointed one. Mm. And, and for him to be the anointed one, he needs to be coming into Jerusalem. It's one of those things, there's no flag at this stage, we're sort of saying this is really important, you really need to listen to this. It's just yeah. kind of... It's just sort of It's happening. just another day in the life of the average Jew, but behind the scenes, if you will, something extraordinarily significant is just taking place or about yeah. to take place. So Jesus, so he's coming in. And so we see in this passage today, the story sort of narrates three components. Jesus kind of gets this cult. Mm-hmm. He rides the cult into Jerusalem and then he laments those who rejects him. So let's, let's look at the acquisition of the cult. Sure. What do you make of this? Well, generally you know, the, the two ways of looking at it is that it's either um, a, a prophetic prediction that Jesus, an insight that Jesus has, that he, he has this, if you will, supernatural knowledge of where the cult is, or that it's, it's made up that, you know, later on in the Gospels, uh, the writer, in this case, Luke, who's a doctor, he just scribbles in and Jesus went and got a, predicted a cult because he wrote it in a cult. So it made sense, you know, you need to probably have that in. Um, I think, look, I think the cult is really important. Uh, I, I don't know necessarily if I would say it's a supernatural foretelling or a miracle of Jesus. Um, some would say that this is, it, it is central because Jesus is announcing himself as the Messiah. I agree that Jesus announces himself as the Messiah, but I think it's through the cult, not necessarily the prediction. So Jesus has performed many miracles. Like if you're going to be impressed by a miracle, what are you impressed by? Uh, you know, predicting a donkey in a, in a shed or feeding 5,000 people out of two loaves and a fish. Like, you know, in terms of magnitude, Jesus has performed many miracles that have spoken along the way. I think, and it was quite common, it might be unusual to our ears, we can imagine doing this with our cars or our bicycles, but uh, towns, villages, uh, quite often had, if you will, uh, beasts of burden that were available to anyone. So it's, it's it's not beyond the bounds of probability in fact it's highly likely that Jesus actually just prearranged the cult but that doesn't take away from what the cult represents throughout the old testament there are predictions made about the anointed one about who this person will be and one of those predictions uh, comes from a book in the bible called Zechariah from Zechariah chapter 9 it predicts that the messiah will come in riding a cult riding a donkey Mm -hmm. so if you're a writer and you're trying to show that this person is the anointed one, is the Messiah, then you need to have him on a donkey. Now, mm. I, don't think, I don't think it's fabricated. I think Jesus really came in 
on a donkey. And I don't think it's magic. This isn't a, a David Copperfield, you know, episode. Uh, now you see it, now you don't. But yeah. I do think donkeys are really important. In fact, I was thinking about it on the way in, Rob. What would be your top three donkeys of all time? Like, if you just had to pick <laughs> three donkeys to go, this is my big three, what would you go with? Well, is it, are we talking sports teams? No, uh, no, <laughs> no, no I'm, I'm talking about literal donkeys. I think that some of the, yeah, then... Uh, I don't, I don't know. I haven't really don't got know. many... I haven't thought much about the, See, I think this the is history a, of this donkeys. This is an important maybe question. Maybe anyone in the crowd, does anyone in the audience have a, have a history... Favourite donkeys of all time? Balaam's donkey. Sorry? Balaam's donkey. Wouldn't yeah. be my top three, but that's a contender. <laughs> that's a, that's a, so Balaam's donkey was one yeah. of the ones. There we go. The donkey Shrek. from Shrek. Donkey from Shrek. He's in my right. top three. He was. He wasn't. He was a noble steed, as far as I'm aware. He's not, <laughs> he wasn't a, we're on a first name a, basis with donkey too. If you say donkey, you know Shrek. So you I know. think he's in my top three. I'll give you my other. I think. I think the cult here. He's in my top three. The other one I went with was Eeyore. So if you're a Winnie the Pooh fan, I think. I think Eeyore has to be in your top three donkeys of all time. Oh dear. Oh dear. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the donkey is very important. Yeah. Uh, because. So what, why is the donkey important? Tell us. Okay. Because. Because, the, because of the prophecies in the Old Testament that mm -hmm. predict the Messiah will come in a donkey, Jesus coming in a donkey declares himself to be the Messiah. Now, a lot of people say, well, you know, Jesus never really said, I'm the son of God, or never really said, I'm... Mm -hmm. Well, you know, if you read your Bibles, he actually did on several occasions. But this is another of those moments where Jesus' actions speak louder, if you will, than his words. Comes in on a donkey. A lot of people get a bit uptight because... Uh, you know, there's three or four different guys that give an account of this setting. Some use the word donkey. We have our Bibles, they read he came in on a donkey. Some people say he came in on a colt. <gasps> oh no, an inconsistency. What is it? Uh, well, it's, it's really not that exciting. It's, um, the, Greek, the Greek word, Rob, you gave us a Greek word before uh, that's used logos. to describe it. Logos. The Greek word is polon, which is a really great word, but it basically means uh, a, young, a young animal, a young beast. And it could have been a young donkey or a young horse, well, we go with donkey, it's uh, what's, what's, what's described, but the word's interchangeable. There's, there's no issue there. So Jesus comes in on this donkey. You can tell a lot about the person by the way they enter the city. Mm. As we mentioned, you know, Jerusalem's busy, mm -hmm. lots of people, donkey jams. Donkey jams, yeah. If Jesus was, if this was in the modern day setting, if uh -huh. Jesus was coming into the city in a car, uh -huh. oh. what, sort of, what sort of car would he be driving? Well, I mean, straight off the top of my head, sure, he, he'd be driving a Mitsubishi Colt. Uh, but, but, but you know, if, you, if it depends on how you think about it. So if you're thinking outside the box, maybe then Jesus, I mean, you know, Toyota Prius, I think. You know, he's surely you're thinking about the environment. Um, but we're in, we're in Jerusalem. So if I had to pick a winner, I mean, if you've ever traveled down the dusty, dirty roads of Palestine, I'd be going with a secondhand Land Rover. And or a Hilux. Or a Hilux, clear the road. Unbreakable. You know, unbreakable, get yeah. it in. But, you know, I mean, I'll still go with my first answer. Mitsubishi Colt. Well, I mean, well, there's significance there with the cold, isn't there? Because yeah. this is a, an interesting juxtaposition of images. Like, mm -hmm. here we are, this, this supposed king, this guy who's coming in, fulfilling the prophecies from the Old Testament, claiming to be this great king, and he's driving a Ferrari, a Bentley, a Porsche. No, it's a Mitsubishi Colt. Bentley. Like, I don't know. I don't know many sports stars or movie stars when they're looking at, you know, they've made it to the top, they're looking at getting a new car, they don't tend to go for the cult. Maybe it's, maybe it's just underrated, I'm not sure. So what's the significance of Jesus taking this sort of humble animal as his entry to the, to the city? Yeah, sure. You've actually got me thinking about kilowatts per kilo and things like that. I don't think Jay Leno, who's renowned for his car collection, I don't think he has a Mitsubishi cult. When I think about the fact that you can tell a lot about a person when they enter 
when they enter a city. I, I think of um, Kaiser Wilhelm II, who was a German emperor, 1898, enters Jerusalem, enters Jerusalem on a mighty white horse. And he's got, uh, he's, he's got a retinue that's so large, they actually have to deconstruct part of the wall to fit everybody through. So they tear down the wall so we can get in. And, and I, think, I think that's a classic image of what you'd expect mm. of a king entering a city, king entering Jerusalem, is a, a mighty war steed. Uh, Jesus picks a donkey. And I think there's two reasons for that. The first reason, which uh, most people, are, especially if you're familiar with the story to some degree, would be aware of, is, is what a donkey represents in terms of humility. Okay, it's a, it's a beast of burden. Uh, the donkey has a lot of association with humility. Uh, it's the complete opposite, if you will. As you said, it's a juxtaposition with the mighty war horse. And I think that says something about Jesus and who he is. But what a lot of people also miss out on is the fact that uh, the donkey uh, also had uh, royal connotations. So it, it, again, you go back to the Old Testament and, and the donkey was, was an animal used or prophesied about in terms of royalty. So there's an association. You could ride a donkey and still be king. It's just, it wasn't done uh, because you'd go for the white steed. Mm, uh, the noble steed. The noble steed. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but, so I think, I think it's important to go, you know, Jesus on a donkey is still saying, I'm a king. He's not saying I'm not a king because I'm not on a white steed. I'm on a donkey. Actually, according to, to the scriptures, that's entirely appropriate for me to be on a donkey because it's a royal animal. However, it also says something about the kind of person that Jesus is in terms of his humility and what he came to do. Mm. Yeah, he's a different type of king. Absolutely. So we see there's a number of, as you've described, sort of messianic elements mm -hmm. in this. There's the prediction of the future, which is sort of Jesus is somehow able to predict this donkey or mm -hmm. this cult. He's writing a cult, which just fulfills the Old Testament. But there's yep. also this cry of the disciples that they, mm. they again, they sort of, they're, they're shouting out to him. What do you, what do you make of that? Yeah, sure. So... Uh, Many people would know, and again, it depends on the version. I think in the version that Cam read for us, it said, um, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. That, that phrase comes from Psalm 118. And it's actually, a, it's actually a pilgrim's phrase. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So Jesus isn't the only, if you will, pilgrim to make his way to Jerusalem. It, it, was, it was what you did as a Jew. You would pilgrim to Jerusalem. And as you entered the city, people, uh, particularly if you were a rabbi and you had followers, people would proclaim to you, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What they've done, what, what they do here is they shout that out, is they add these keywords, king. Blessed is the king who comes in the, in the name of the Lord. And they take this pilgrim's greeting and they give, you know, serious overtones to, to kingship. And that's mm. actually, as I think you're about to ask me is what gets under the Pharisee's skin. Well, it's quite prophetic. I'm not quite sure that you're the, necessarily the Messiah then. but uh, I, I do speak to God, though. Right? He right, speaks yeah. to me. It's but uh, well, I suppose that was the thing, because whilst the disciples have recognised him as the king, not yeah. everyone has recognised him yeah. as the king. And particularly the Pharisees, well, it's in sentence 39, that some of the Pharisees tell Jesus to rebuke his disciples. Now, the Pharisees were like some of the religious leaders of the time. Mm -hmm. What made them so upset? Sure. Well, what made them so upset was the fact that here's a group of people saying, you're the king. And the Pharisees, as, as Rob said, are a group of religious people, religious leaders. They actually control much of um, society, culture. Uh, if you're a Jew, your life is governed by the law. 
So your, your duty is to fulfill all 631 laws uh, that are prescribed in the Old Testament. And the Pharisees were, were those at the top of the tree who, who not only fulfilled those laws, but also governed to make sure you were fulfilling those laws. So there's a lot of power, a lot of esteem, uh, a lot of privilege that comes with being a Pharisee. So there's a, a human element in which, you know, this guy is a usurper. This guy represents something that could pull out from under them what they've spent their whole lives working towards, this mm. power, this prestige, uh, this importance. But they're also guardians of truth. So this is, if you're, if you're a Pharisee, your, your prime uh, role is to guard the truth of the scriptures, the Jewish scriptures. And so from their perspective, here's another potential heretic. Here's someone who's proclaiming or to be something or others are you know, lifting him up and saying, here's the king. And, and they're just like, well, this is not on. This, this, we've got some heresy here going in. We need to come in and shut it down. Yeah, so we need to quieten him down. Yeah. And so that when they're saying... They were fairly effective with that in the end, weren't they? <laughs> well, but why didn't they recognize who he was, though? That's a good question. And the, the follow-up question is, is, why don't so many of us recognize him? Well, that's right. But why didn't they recognize him? Well, why don't we, why don't we recognize anything at times? It's, if, you, if you have a... Uh, I do have young daughters, so I've discovered these books. They're the best kind of book for a child is a book that has like thousands of things in it. And you can say, find, find the mouse. And you know it's going to take 10 minutes for them to find the mouse, and so you've got some peace and quiet. Right? <laughs> you can have a little doze. Exactly. <laughs> so exactly. But if you tell someone, you give someone a picture, and you say, find the mouse and they've never seen a mouse before, how do you think they're going to go? I mean, he, 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 it's okay for us to go, here's the Messiah. But if you say, I mean, these people have been looking for a Messiah for hundreds and hundreds of years. So for suddenly for, for the anointed one, for the Messiah to appear, I mean, they'd, they'd cut down other heretics. Mm. And probably in their minds, and probably rightly so. They yeah, were, they were, absolutely. They were frauds. Absolutely. So suddenly, here's the guy that turns up who's the real deal, but you don't, they don't know what they're looking for because they've never seen it before. And I think in that sense, it's, it's partly really easy to overlook, especially if you throw in, um, I mean, the particular nature of what it was to be a Pharisee uh, and what they're expecting. And we talked about it before. You're, you're expecting a particular king. I mean, these guys are expecting someone who's going to cause a social revolution, mm. overturn Roman rule. I mean, they, they, you know, Israel exists. It, it's a it's a state of you all, but it's subject to to Roman dominion. I mean, they're looking for someone who's a political leader who's mm. going to turn things upside down. So to have someone come in who's the complete opposite of that, you know, it, it's in one sense it's amazing that anyone picked it up at all. Mm. Mm. I mean, well, even his own disciples didn't pick it up for a very long time. I mean, before he enters into Jerusalem, he spells it out. These are the guys that have been with Jesus for three years. They've wandered the dusty streets of Palestine. They've seen him before miracles. And then he says, we're going to Jerusalem because the Son of Man needs to die. Mm. And they don't get it. It's a miracle that anyone understood. But mm. I suppose Jesus says that it's for those who have the ears to hear. Mm. Yeah, let, that's right. Let them hear. Yeah. And that those are the types of people that will uh, respond. Even within the Pharisees, there were people who heard. Nicodemus is a classic example of someone whose ears were open. Mm. There, were, there were many who came from, I mean, a lot of people who followed Jesus came from poor socioeconomic backgrounds, but there were many who came from those same backgrounds that didn't mm. hear. Yeah. The passage also suggests that these people, these Pharisees and so on, have sort of missed out. They've missed out on something big. I'm just mm. wondering, have you ever missed out on anything big? 
Nothing huge because I did end up marrying the girl, so I didn't end up missing out. But I mean, but when she I really missed out on you, though, was that? Uh... <laughs> Thanks, Rob. Uh, you can invite me back. But, uh, so I think I think thinking through that, something I missed out. On, I don't know. It's it's funny when birthdays come around. I, I'm much better than I was. But when you're 17, 18. And, you know, you have sort of a mercenary attitude to birthdays, right? You get a whole stack of cards, rip the card open, quick look, is there a 20, 50, 100, nut? No, throw it, next one, quick, quick look. <laughs> and in no way is this more profound than I think at your 18th, maybe, hopefully you've matured by 21. And I remember at my 18th, I had, you know, hundreds of cards and it's a lot, it takes a long time to read every card. So it was just rip the envelope open, open it, nut, no, chuck, rip, chip, 20, that one's friend level three, 100, <laughs> like this person a lot, you go through it. And I remember chucking one out, had a quick look, chucked it out. And then my Nana, who, you know, Nana's only ever give you, like in my case, literally hankies uh, and, and eventually uh, Tats Lotto tickets. Um, but there was, there, was a, there was a substantial amount of money uh, in that card and I just went, whoop, chuck. And then my Nana went, oh, you know, did you appreciate your gift? I'm like, yeah, 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 not, you don't say no to your Nana, yes. And she's like, oh, well, you know, it was a fair amount of money, but sister. And I was like, a fair amount of money. So I'm going through the rubbish, trying to find the card to go, you know, I didn't miss out in the end, but I could have. Right. And so, okay. But I wonder even if that analogy, so you're talking about, you know, people who missed out in terms of seeing Jesus, right? And I think that's, I think that's really important, but it's interesting, isn't it? Jesus' reaction to that. I mean, he's... Well, that's right. So he's weeping. Yeah. And he sort of says, if you only you'd known mm. at the time of God's coming amongst you, yeah. then things might have been a bit different. It's as though these people have kind of, I'm here, it's, I've made it as clear as I can, mm -hmm. but you've missed out. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's the interesting thing, because those who missed out didn't recognize that they'd missed out. It wasn't like they went through the, they heard out oh, I've missed out and that 100 bucks went through the trash and retrieved it. Mm. You didn't understand that you were missing out. And I think a better analogy is to look at Jesus who weeps. And uh, I have a, um, a two-year-old who uh, loves play school. And uh, recently uh, we got tickets to take her to a play school concert. And, and this has happened from time to time. You know, you're t terrible twos, misbehaving I won't, you know, in case this ever goes live, I won't say what she was doing or the words that a two-year-old can say. But as parents, you're trying, you're trying to discipline. And part of us were thinking, well, do we not go to play school? Now, she didn't know she was going to play school. So, you know, it wouldn't have affected her in her thinking that she was missing out on something. Mm. But as, as parents, that, that we'd grieve that because, you know, this is something we're really looking forward to. It's something we know she'd love. And now we're thinking about taking it away. And especially, you know, when it cost us 50 bucks. I mean, you know, that hurt. Mm. I'd, I'd cry. That's, 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 I'd cry over that. That's I mean, almost, a, almost a Nana's <laughs> birthday present. Cool. Yeah. So, you know, so, so Jesus is weeping because he knows in such a profound way what they're missing out on. Mm. Mm. And, and, and that, I mean, Jesus is a man of deep compassion and love. But, but more, than, more than that, he, he, of all people, truly understands what they're missing out on, even though they are ignorant and, and don't understand. Luke writes so that his readers can know the certainty of the events of Jesus' life. In this passage, he writes to assure his readers that Jesus is the humble king who comes in God's name. So please thank our guest today, James Hornby. Thanks, Rob. Thank you.